0: I'll be reading in Acts 9, verses 10 to 18. Acts 9, verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go unto the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints of Jerusalem, and here he hath that authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on, his, on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. You may be seated.
1: In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Proverbs fifteen twenty-six. Now, the last time that I spoke here, three weeks ago, I spoke about all the use of the tongue, especially looking at various concepts and verses in the book of Proverbs and what it says about our speech. And then I gave three examples from the book of Acts. Three examples of people who used their... Tongue and their communication skills in a very right, calm manner. And as they did so, they diffused um, emotionally charged situations. And I'm just wondering, just for interesting, can any of you name one of those three men that we talked about? Gamaliel, good, thank you. I'm sorry the town clerk clerk? that's not really his name but yes thank you Nate (laughs) and the third one well that was James in verse 15 thank you for your help there Um, the key verse was Colossians 4 6 that includes the phrase always with grace seasoned with salt which I borrowed that those phrases as the title for that message three weeks ago. Today I'm thinking about three individuals from the book of Acts, three additional ones, three different ones from um, the pages of the Acts of the Apostles whose actions, not their speech now, but their actions clearly showed the condition of their heart. Three of them, three individuals. And these, we would say, are kind of minor players in the book of Acts. They are not spoken about in a lot of detail. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit sees fit um, to tell their stories. To give their stories in in those pages in, in Acts must be good reasons for that. Must be lots of, perhaps lots of good reasons for that, don't you think? So the title that I've chosen is from that that I just read in Proverbs 14, 26. Strong confidence and a place of refuge. Strong confidence and a place of refuge. First person of the three that we'd like to look at and examine is given in... Acts 23 and 24. And you might just want to turn there. And his name is Anais. He's spoken about in chapter 23, just a little bit, verse 2, and a couple of verses following. Then in 24, verse 1. Paul had just completed a time of intense missionary effort. He had Done three, we call them missionary journeys, and now he had come to Jerusalem. And knowing when he came to Jerusalem that he was going to be captured, that he was going to be jailed, that he was going to suffer for God's sake, on trial before the Sanhedrin in chapter 23, that word isn't given there, but it's the council, the Jewish group of 70 men, the ruling people, the government, uh, the religious government of that day and Ananias is the high priest he's the presiding officer and what kind of man was Ananias we only know from what and get a glimpse into his character in verse 2 That's, and that gives us a real good glimpse doesn't it gives us a real good idea of what kind of man he was josephus and maybe some other non-biblical sources talk um, talk some about this man and they say that he was a brutal kind of a person he was a greedy kind of a person he was a scheming kind of a person always trying to get ahead at the expense of others he wasn't afraid to use violence and to use bribery uh, if that suited his purposes and that's all of that Is kind of in line with what we see here in Acts 23. In this real brief little snapshot in verse 2. Ironically, interestingly I think. We're told that he enjoyed the support of the people. Of the Jewish people that day. He had a good reputation with them. In spite of the kind of man that he seemed to be. Ananias had... been called to, uh, into account a few years before this by the Roman government, which was we know was over the Jewish nation at that time, and he had been recalled and said, you need to come to Rome and tell us why you've been doing what you have. So he went to Rome, uh, kind of on trial himself, and there he had a powerful friend or so that was able to help him be acquitted so then he came back home back to the land of Israel and had been there for a couple years when this incident happened to me that's really interesting because I think of another man in old testament times his name was Manasseh and he was a very wicked man you can read about him in second kings and in second chronicles uh, especially Second Chronicles, I think, 32, 33, in around there. A very, very wicked and evil man. And s- kind of a similar thing had happened to him. The world power of the day, which I think was maybe the Assyrians back then. I think so, the Assyrian Empire. Maybe some other empire. The world power of the day had said... You need to, you can't be king anymore. You come over here. And the Bible says in Second Chronicles 33 that when that happened, he, Manasseh humbled himself greatly. And also that then he knew that the Lord, he was God. In other words, he was humble. He was humiliated. He was brought low and that brought humility in his heart but we don't see that happening here with this Manasseh uh, with Ananias at all obviously Ananias was pretty much as haughty as ever, pretty much as angry as ever, pretty much as bitter as ever, he felt very threatened here by Paul and the gospel as Paul was preaching it and here was Ananias, haughty angry, bitter, threatened now, we're told by various counselors and psychologists and people that should know that anger is a secondary emotion. And what they mean by that is that anger is a result of something a little bit deeper. Anger is a, second, a secondary emotion. And people will also say most times that the primary emotion the one that's driving the secondary one is you guessed it fear does that seem right to you i think we can easily see ananias insecurity shining through here in his anger his the root cause of his anger was his fear I can relate with that. Maybe you can too. There's fear of consequences. And so we respond in anger against other people. There's fear of failure. There's fear of other people getting ahead. Or of you becoming more successful than me. And that can trigger that secondary emotion of anger. But it's fear that is driving that anger. I think we can easily see that here in this little picture of Ananias the high priest when I become angry I wonder if God isn't really asking me the question and I should be answering to almighty God answering the question Norman of what are you afraid and maybe that's the case with you when I become angry, maybe I should be answering the same kind of question that God asked the first angry man in scripture. Remember who that was? Way back in Genesis 4, 6. Um, Cain. God asked him, why art thou wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? We would do well at times of anger. We have... We would kind of, before God, answer those kind of questions of what am I afraid? Why am I angry? Isn't that pretty clear to you? It's fairly clear to me that Ananias' reaction to Paul here shows that when one doesn't fear God, he fears man, Right? If Ananias would have really been a God-fearer and had the fear of God in his heart, probably he wouldn't have responded that way to Paul at all like he did. When one doesn't fear God, he's bound to fear man. And not only that, but when one doesn't fear God, he will fear man instead. And there will be manifestations of that remember anger is the secondary emotion and the manifestations that, he, that Ananias the high priest shows here I think pretty clearly to us today even if we're 2000 years advanced or beyond his day is that the manifestations often are anger and rage and hate and bitterness so having thought about Ananias the high priest, let's go back to Acts 5 now. Remembering as we do uh, that the lesson that we really would want to understand, that I would want to underscore is again, that I repeat again, when one doesn't fear God, he will fear man. And that will often show itself in emotions like anger and bitterness and hatred uh, are you back at chapter 5 now uh, the first verses and you see that there's two people in view there it's a lady named Sapphira and her husband named Ananias so let's talk about this Ananias we look just a little bit about at Ananias the high priest Now let's look at Ananias and Sapphira. And I ask you the question. I ask you, what was his problem anyway? What was their problem anyway? What was the real problem here with Ananias and Sapphira? And I ask a follow-up question. Was it greed? Was that the issue? well it is pretty obvious that he was that they that he Ananias was greedy of gain isn't it they kept back that certain part verse 2 so yeah he had a problem with greed it's pretty obvious to me and maybe to you that greediness is a pretty serious sin that man needs to reckon with before God uh, the Bible often calls it covetousness. We say greedy, um, maybe a, a synonym of that. Often used in Bible terminology, covetousness. Verses like fifteen, like Proverbs fifteen twenty-seven come to mind as I think of Ananias and I, and Sapphira, which says Proverbs fifteen twenty-seven: He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. Surely, Ananias and Sapphira. Or a case study of the truth of that i don 't he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house proverbs fifteen twenty seven having said all that, I don't think that anania 's root problem was greed, so what was his real problem? What was it anyway oh, do you, Do you think it was lying or deception? It's pretty obvious in the text, isn't it, that they were schemers? His wife also being privy to it, verse 2. So was his main problem lying? It's pretty obvious that lying is a fairly serious sin that man needs to reckon with before God Uh, there's plenty of verses in the Bible let me just read one to you about this of deception and lying deceiving and lying and that's in Psalm 101 verse 7 where the Bible says he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house he that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight And I would just say to you right now that I don't think that his main problem was lying. I don't think it was greed, even though obviously that's an issue. I don't think it was lying, even though that's obviously an issue here. So what was it? What was the real problem in Ananias' life? Was it maybe, um, I suggest or I ask, was it having a good name? Was it maintaining a good name or a reputation in Bible terminology? And we understand that here today. We often call that pride, don't we? Was it pride? Was his main problem pride? It's pretty obvious that that was important to Ananias. Other people were doing that and being probably being lauded for it and so he thought it was important that for him to stay with the joneses that he needs to do something like this too it's pretty obvious to me that that was important that was part of it that was pride we all know that pride is a pretty serious sin that the bible speaks a lot about and that's something that many of us struggle with there's verses in the Bible, let me just give you one, Proverbs 16:18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I think of that verse and the truth of it, I think, remember of a lady, who I remember a lady saying a number of years ago that she had problems with this, of pride. And in, in her life it was manifested by the fact, or she was a good cook and she liked to cook and she kind of enjoyed when people saw that she and noticed and tasted that she was a good cook and so there was this uh, fellowship dinner at church and everyone was supposed to bring two dishes but she because she kind of liked her reputation brought three and she wanted to carry two of them along in, into the kitchen where there were other people and could see this happening. I, th- I think maybe somebody in her family offered to carry one for her, but she said, no, I'll take two. And just as she got into the kitchen, and just as she got into the view of other people, other church people, somehow, somehow, her bowl of popcorn that she had in one hand... Uh, slid out of her re- reach and fell to the floor. And she said that at that point she remembered Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, she said, and a haughty spirit before the popcorn falls. Do you think that his problem was pride? I would submit to you that I don't think his prime real root problem was pride well what was it then was it presumptuous was it presumption or was it the issue that he had that they had premeditated on it the bible term for it is presumptuous sins and there is no doubt that presumptuous sin in God's eyes is a little worse than um, unpremeditated sin there's verses like numbers 1530 that you could turn to where God is speaking and makes that kind of plain. And it's very clear, verses 2, verse 9 that they had premeditated this. Well, I would sug- I would say that Ananias' root problem was not presumption. But I would submit that Ananias' root problem it wasn't greed, it wasn't deception, it wasn't pride. It wasn't presumption, but his real problem was that he had such a small fear of God before his eyes, don't you think? He was so busy fearing man that he lost or forgot his fear of God. Did he expect that God would overlook his lack of fear? Do you think that he expected that God would make an exception for him? Ananias' root problem was that he was not afraid of God as he should have been. If the fear of God would have been before his eyes, I don't think that he would have been very tempted to do what he did. It's a terrible temptation in the 21st century, in the the place where we live, in the culture and the community where we live, to have so little fear of God in our eyes. I submit that Ananias and Sapphira were not the only ones who dealt with that, but that that's an issue in my life and maybe in yours. It's fairly clear, isn't it? Don't you think it's kind of clear that Ananias' response to God here shows that when one doesn't fear God, he fears man. With manifestations of greed and deception and pride. Greed and deception and pride and presumptuous are, presumption are the secondary issues. The big issue, the real underlying deep issue is that when we are not... Afraid of God, when we are not awed by the holiness and the justice of God, which we see clearly enough in this anecdote, the justice of God and the holiness of God. When one doesn't fear God, he fears man, and that often shows itself in attitudes of greed and deception and pride. We can see that so clearly from Ananias and Sapphira and their life and their deaths how clearly can we see that about ourselves how clearly can I do you notice in verse 5 and again in verse 11 that great fear came upon the church and all that heard it interesting to me that the Bible mentions that kind of clearly twice great fear Why wouldn't there have been fear after um, God showed himself to be so holy and so pure and so just? Oh, that we, that you and me would be so fearful of God's holiness and of God's justice that we're afraid to do anything except cling to the Bible at the feet of Jesus hopefully Ananias and Sapphira can bring that into sharper focus for you and for me today and in our life as we go from here. So we've talked about Ananias the high priest and we've seen how there there seemed to be a lack of the fear of the Lord but instead there was fear of man with manifestations like anger and rage and bitterness and so on. We noticed in The second Ananias, another Ananias That there seemed to be so little fear of God And so much fear of man And it manifested itself in things like greed And deception and pride and so on We're ready now to move to the third person And you already know who that was And you already know his name, right? In chapter 9 As we look now at the Ananias that Dave read about A few minutes ago Ananias of Damascus. And I notice, as we look at those verses, 10 through 17, 9, 10 through 17, that he was um, kind of fearful. Did you notice that? Notice that in verse 13 and 14, God came to him with a command, and immediately Ananias says, oh, I guess not, Lord. I I wonder if you know what you're doing, Lord. I wonder if you know what... Isn't that really what he was saying? Maybe not those exact words. But pretty much so. But I noticed too. That he was not afraid to talk back to God. Isn't that something? He was fearful. But he wasn't afraid to talk back to. Almighty God. His Lord. As if. As if. The omniscient God. Omniscient means. One who knows everything. God is omniscient. And so he. He tells God a thing or two as if the omniscient omniscient God didn't already know what he was saying what Ananias was saying and omnipotent means all powerful and so Ananias was not too afraid to talk back to the omnipotent, omnipotent God and as if God couldn't the all powerful God couldn't protect him he was a fearful person it reminds me of Peter, um, moving just a couple of chapters to Acts 11. I think it's Acts 11. Remember Peter that day when he was up on the rooftop and he had a vision. And God said, or God showed him a, a sheet with a bunch of unclean animals. And he, God said, Peter, kill and eat, because I know you're hungry. And Peter said, not so, Lord. And went on. And defending himself from there. Not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. Now, a Lord is a master. And slaves always addressed their masters as Lord. They, the Lord was the master. He was the supreme. He was the boss. He was the high one. And the slave is always the lower one. And Peter said... And I'm reminded of this as I think of Ananias talking back to God. Peter said at that point, not so, Lord. Now, I remember hearing or reading a story maybe 20 years ago, no, 25 years ago, about this young man who had been called to the mission field and he was kind of into that but then again he had some other lucrative opportunities in life he could, would have been a success here or there he had many things he could do and so he was waffling about that about do I follow the call of the Lord or do I do other things that I think I would enjoy more and would work out well for me so, to his credit, he asked an older man one day, an older, wiser man about this and said, what shall I do? And the, man, the older man said, directed the younger man to those three words that Peter said that day, not so, Lord. And he said, you find that in your Bible, the older man said to the younger, you find that in your Bible and you go out... Uh, somewhere where you're alone and you think about that and then when you make your uh, decision when you're sure that you know what you are planning to do then you either cross out not so or you cross out lord you can't have it both ways it's one or the other Well, I remember uh, that was probably in the early 90s when I read that story, and I thought that was a good lesson, and I think it was about that time that we were studying in the book of Acts in Sunday school, and I was a Sunday school teacher, so when I had the chance when we went through that in Acts 11, I mentioned that and taught that uh, even rather vigorously, When not too long after that, my wife and I experienced what we thought was a pretty terrible tribulation and suffering. Turned out it really wasn't, but we thought so at that point. And are you surprised that God brought that, what I had just taught, to my attention? Is it not so, or is it Lord? Is the question that comes ringing down to us, to you and to me here today. So Ananias was fearful. He also verse 10 was a follower. Do you see that there in verse 10? I'm looking at the word the sixth word in verse 10. The word is disciple and disciple means what does disciple mean? Disciple means a learner Or a follower. So he was a follower of Jesus. He was a learner of Jesus. Disciple means learner or follower. A disciple is one who is. Willing to learn. A disciple is one who is even eager to learn. A disciple is one who is teachable. He Is aware that he doesn't know everything yet. He is aware that he doesn't know nearly everything yet. A disciple. Is one who is willing to just learn wherever he can. From whoever he can. He knows that he has so much to learn. And he's willing and eager to learn. He's a disciple. That's what Ananias. This third Ananias was. He was a disciple. A disciple of Christ. He was teachable, he was willing to learn he was a disciple and I am so happy that between verse 16 and verse 17, there's nothing more so Ananias was fearful and he kind of reminded God that maybe God you're not really knowing what you're doing here you're a little bit on the wrong track, verse 13 and 14 and God just came back to him and kindly and mercifully said Put him on the right track. And at that point the learner. The one who was teachable. Was willing to be a real disciple. And to do what God said. There was no more concerns. There was no more issues. No excuses. Uh, He wasn't any more controlled by his fearfulness. Because he feared the Lord. More than he feared Saul. Paul. He feared the Lord more than he feared man. Not only was Ananias fearful and a follower. But he was also faithful. Verse 17 is pretty clear. and makes that plain, doesn't it? And Ananias went his way. And entered into the house. And putting his hands on him said. And so on. Maybe he was still fearful. But he now since he feared God much more than he feared man, he had his shield of faith, and he strapped that on in one's mind's eye and headed for Straight Street without any delay. We, Juan and I, tried to teach our children, don't know how well we did, we tried to teach our children that obedience is not obedience unless it's done immediately and it's done well and it's done cheerfully and I think that Ananias learned just a little bit about that and I think that we see that here in verse 17 the implication is that he went right away the implication is that he went gladly and cheerfully and he did exactly what God told him to he was faithful, not only fearful and not only a follower, but he was faithful. Now, there's a, a verse in 2 Timothy 2 2 that talks about the qualifications of an elder, and by extension, for all of us who name the name of Christ here. And it talks about 2 Timothy 2 2 talks about how that um, um, a man. Can I find that real quick? And the things that thou hast heard of me. Among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men. Who shall be able to teach others also. So that verse shows that. There's two qualifications of an elder. There's two, And by extension, there's two qualifications for you as you live the Christian life. That's number one, that you're faithful, and number two, that you're able. But faithfulness comes first there, right? And then there's a verse in 1 Timothy 2, actually a number of verses, seven verses there, that makes it clear that not only is faithfulness more important than ability, as 2 Timothy 2, 2 indicates. But 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7 elaborates on that. And it's clear to me anyway that faithfulness is 15 times more vital than ability. And you just check that out if you wonder about that. I think that 15, that faithfulness is about 15 times or so more important and more vital in the Christian life than ability is. About thirty years ago, Hudel Yasagari was preaching here and he his well he asked the question and asked for comments from the audience about what is the most important Christian virtue. And so uh, people gave their suggestions. They probably said, oh, godliness or honesty or things like that. Um, but none of them, the right answer wasn't forthcoming. It took a little while until, until Hudell said, I heard it and pointed it off in this area. And somebody in that area had said faithfulness. And he went on from there and expounded on the importance and the wonderfulness of faithfulness well I remember that yet today about 15 years ago I was sitting in a Sunday school class up here and John P. Lapp was the teacher and he said something that I remember yet he said that that one of the primary qualifications of the Christian life is that one is teachable and so I see both of those qualities here in Ananias of Damascus he was teachable and he was faithful he was a follower and he was faithful the other thing about Ananias of Damascus is that he didn't have nearly the ability that Paul did and yet Paul was forever indebted to Ananias's faithfulness and obedience to God and coming and helping Paul along in the Christian life isn't that something Paul was the one with the gifts Paul was the one with the ability Paul was the one with the faithfulness too but here came a nobody to help Paul who is the the very famous person that we all know about with his ability and his faithfulness Paul would have been impoverished without Ananias, the person without the ability, being faithful. And he did that because he had the fear of God much more than the fear of man. And I just remember what Charles Spurgeon used to say a long time ago. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. And I remember what Mary Slessor, see, you might know that Mary Slessor was a Pioneer missionary, was it, to Nigeria? Maybe a hundred years or so ago. And one of the things that she said, and I quote, blessed the man and woman who is able to serve cheerfully in the second rank, a big test, end of quote. The second rank. Oh, that's the adjective, the second rank, the second blessed is the person who is able to do that even away from the limelight and never being popular and never being noticed the second rank, that's the adjective and the verb there is to serve we have been called to serve Christians have been called to serve and when we have the fear of the Lord we're glad to serve which brings us to the adverb of the sentence doesn't it? can you pick out the adverb bless the man and woman who is able to serve cheerfully in the second rank a big test there it is cheerfully there it is the adjective the verb the adverb I think are all kind of key in that quote bless the man and woman who is able to serve cheerfully in the second rank a big test Mary Slesser said And John Phillips writes this, One of these days, the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We will all be there, small and great. Those who made a mighty mark for God and are mentioned in church history books and little old ladies and shy retiring men who loved the Lord and like Mary of Bethany did what they could. Those who had the gifts of apostle and prophet, evangelists and pastors and teachers who filled great pulpits, those who blazed gospel trails into dark continents, and those who founded missions and movements will rise together with countless ordinary folk toward the sky. I am so thankful for people like Ananias of Damascus, who, though he was initially fearful, was a follower and he was faithful. And when it really comes down to it, just as John Phillips was writing, when it really comes down to it, what is more, there is nothing more important, nothing more vital than that ultimately we hear it said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Well done, thou good and faithful servant but which is more important which is more important to you which is more important to me the fear of man or the fear of god if we have the fear of god just like acts 9 i'm sorry just like proverbs 14:26 if we have the fear of god we have strong confidence and a place of refuge oh that we would have that strong confidence in god and he provide that place of refuge when we have the fear of God, rather than the fear of man. Will you kneel with me for prayer? (coughs) Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious and wonderful word, and even the part in the book of Acts that highlights these three Ananiases, Heavenly Father. And we can notice how The fear of God is important to some and the fear of man important to others. And I pray that we would be those who always and uniformly and consistently and ever choose the fear of God. For when we fear God, there's nothing else to fear. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt one day said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself We say, Heavenly Father, and testify that when we fear God, there's nothing else to fear when we fear God. May that be the case for every one of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.